0: Why does everyone have to have stupid names for their AI? Like, why can't it be Google AI and Microsoft AI? ChatGPT and Bard? Come on. Well, ChatGPT isn't even a stupid name. It's like, it's a very technical name. Which means it's stupid.
1: (laughs) This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Douglas, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
0: Yeah, our content producer killed it again last week. I mean, it. our boy is just killing it every time we talk Disney. And then what happens with Disney? They make drastic moves as soon as our podcast hits the airwaves. I don't know what to say. I uh, read this piece the last week that we're not going to
1: talk about today, but as the man who moves all markets, something like that, yeah. about Carson Block, the short seller. But I feel like it should have been about Skippy,
0: <laughs> the podcast that moves the layoff world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the podcast that moves no markets. Yeah, <laughs> you doing well this week? Yeah, man. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good week. If I was gonna peer into the future. I think that our boy Adam Newman of WeWork fame and has a new company called Flow. And I would predict that that company might have some layoffs in the future if they ever hire anybody. We'll see.
1: And, and I hope not for the people involved. I know you, you do, too. I hope not. I'm just joking here. Yeah. And and should we should we play his explanation of what the company does? Because last time we talked about it, we're like, we kind of seem like we might understand some of it, but not really. But he talked yeah, a this- little more.
0: Skippy and Douglas got an inside peek at the pitch (laughs) here Here we go (laughs)
2: yeah here we go so number one management company branded technology first number two real estate asset management the company that can buy real estate and asset manage real estate number three financial services and the fourth pillar is this mechanism that's going to take some of the value and share it with the value creators And those users are going to start using our financial services. Now, the reason they're going to use the financial services, that payments company that's charging your rent already has a real relationship with the user. And then if we are able to take this value creating mechanism and share with the residents a portion of the value, it's going to make them feel ownership. If you're in your apartment building and you're a renter and your toilet gets clogged, you call the super. If you're in your own apartment and, you're, and you bought it and you own it and your toilet gets clogged, you take the plunger. And it's, it's, it's the difference when feeling like you own something to just feeling like you're renting from being trans, transactional to actually being part of a community. Excellent.
0: Yeah, where do I write my check? I mean, big ideas people deserve praise because I'm not, I'm not always a big ideas person. So it's a big idea. But as he talks through that, Dougals, man, I don't know. Usually in life there's a reason companies specialize in certain niches because they're really good at it. Like when he talks about the real estate purchaser also being the asset manager effectively and then he ties on the financial services arm that does the payments like I've paid my cable company for 20 or 30 years. I have no desire to have a, have them do my financial services business. And it, it to me it seems like there's too much there. like I don't know how you could be great at all those pieces of a pie you might remember a certain
1: pitch from about was it a, maybe not a year ago nine months ago where the pitch was effectively you know AWS they do storage you know Twitter they do communication you know Netflix they do entertainment we gonna do all those things for you we are called Truth social you remember this <laughs> <laughs> not really no yeah it was uh we, we I'll, we'll go back and uh and put the the pitch deck from that on the sub stack on monday but it like laid out all the services of the internet and said imagine <laughs> if you combine those all into one and it was run by the apprentice star like yeah, what, yeah. like what was the pitch <laughs> yeah no i i get this one i think like when the plunger thing Your toilet gets clogged you call the super no your toilet gets clogged. you call the proctologist Uh, i like the i do like the the
0: end of it right the the high level point around uh ownership Mm -hmm. i think that's important the initial pitch when a16z gave him money right was it was some large amount of money was it 300 million or something it was about creating almost apartments where the renters had more ownership because they felt more connected. And like that general pitch, I can follow and it makes sense. And you want that, that does make people treat your, their apartment with more respect. And if there's appreciation on property value and some of that's shared with them, it does create an ownership piece. So I love that piece of the idea. It's just to hear him articulate it this way, for me, I would have been uh, Remember like the old school American Idol when what what's that dude? Name Randy something would be like, not for me, dog. Or no, Randy, the black dude you're talking about. Yeah. Him, right? He'd be yeah. like, it's Randy not Jackson? for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't I could have followed the logic there. I have no desire to want to. Well, and I think the piece that I feel like is really missing is all that stuff comes at a cost to have a financial services arm branded on top of your asset management company who's acquiring real estate and then maintaining that real estate. It all costs money. So the ownership piece is going to come when they can walk across the street and actually buy their own rental unit for less than they would be to pay rent with this small fraction of feeling like ownership for flow. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't know, and I agree. Uh, In addition
1: to what you were talking about earlier with regard to the specialization piece, I'm also kind of thinking, if I'm listening to this peach, uh, this pitch, I would I'd say, okay, all right, so you got these first two, okay, value creation, all right, I get that you're creating value. Then your plan is to then give that value not to me, just just to be clear, I'm the investor here. Your plan is to give that value not to me, but to these folks. I'm not going to call this quite a Ponzi, but it sounds like you're creating value over here and giving this value to this group and this group signs up because of the value you're giving to them and the only reason you can create new value is because of the value you're giving away is that the like is that the model exactly i'm not saying that that's the model but it,
0: it's yeah, like i i might be saying that's the model that's the wework model it was borrow 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 buy 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 spend 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 Get a peak valuation and then run away. (laughs) I don't think he ran so much
1: as there was a a boot in his booty.
0: Well, for good reason,
1: right? Booty booting. Booty booting. All right. man. I'm going to reach into the fishbowl and hit on a topic that we've discussed a few times here on the pod. I'm going to bring it back for a little quick hit situation. We're going to talk about buy now, pay later. This is a set of services where individuals are able to purchase goods, which historically have been zero interest rate for larger purchases. Like Peloton really, I think, made this big, especially for a firm. You have 0% interest rate on buying a $3,000 bike. You're like, why the heck would I not do this? A firm gets paid by the merchant. So it's like a cheaper way for the merchant to get uh, new traffic and new sales. Awesome. So that's buy now pay later. We've discussed previously how this could potentially get consumers into trouble because you're by, you're getting all these low interest rates. Most of it wasn't zero. Low interest rates, interest rate loans. And sounds like a really good deal. You stack up enough of them. They sneak up on you. That happened. So we've already cataloged that. We predicted that. That happened. Now it seems like the buy now, pay later companies, or at least a firm, is getting itself a little bit into trouble.
0: So what's so interesting about this is, is the complex adaptive system in which we live in a zero interest rate world? So let's rewind to two years back. If Peloton's selling a three thousand dollar bike and the consumer is going, I don't necessarily want to pay three thousand dollars this month, but if I pay three if I pay a portion of that over the next six to twelve months, like that's a win, especially when it's branded to them as like and there's no additional cost to you for financing this, it's just a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever. And then Peloton paying a firm, I don't know the exact fee, but let's call it a hundred bucks for simplicity's sake. A hundred bucks to provide that service is like seems like a win-win-win, right? Because Peloton's happy to spend a hundred dollars to get that bike into the hands of a consumer. A firm's happy in a very low interest rate environment to effectively provide financing on three thousand dollars for only a hundred bucks and And true profit in the door. And it works. We're in a very different environment now. (laughs) We're not in zero interest rate land. We're not. And so if those and and why does that matter for a firm? Sorry if I'm jumping ahead here, Douglas. But like one, that means your default rates are either already on the rise or they will soon be on the rise. And that equation doesn't work if you don't actually if you can't actually connect collect the $3,000 that you're owed to the $100. And again, this is a made up figure that might not be competitive based on what you could make if you took that same amount of funds and put it in a money market account anymore. Or if you have to take out debt to finance that purchase, which often companies have to do, often banks have to do, all of a sudden you're upside down. So the business model is is almost entirely different right now than it was two years ago. And
1: yeah. And I I go back to when I first heard about a firm. When a firm was starting, I don't remember exactly when, let's call it like 10, 15 years ago. It was like somewhere in that, I think closer to 10 years ago, a firm was starting. And I was like, this is super cool and, and inspirational to me because I what I remember the pitch being, it's as you described in that win-win-win situation. But additionally, yeah. it was a way for underserved markets to be able to participate in the economy. Because they, these folks many times are unbanked or underbanked, right? Might not have access to credit, to funds, et cetera. And so it was, it was saying, like, how do we get these individuals to be able to buy goods that they wouldn't be able to otherwise? And we have this win-win-win model. It's like, cool. Like, that's that's a conceptually really cool. Then it became, how do you buy a Peloton? So then, yeah, that, yeah, that, actually, that, yeah.
0: that's where I was going, leave it to America to be like this really cool company comes out, it's got to change the world. And where it gains success is like how to buy your ultra luxury bike with a TV on top that no one needs and sells you with a $60 subscription cost per month. That That's what America does. Boom. <laughs> that's how America do.
1: That's right. And uh, to your point, so now six, I don't know what the number was before, but now 67% of volume is interest bearing. Because we are in a different world going going from the world where it was like the the Peloton, the larger uh, price tag for really low interest now to Amazon is 20 percent of gross volume for for a firm. So it's more like the low, low priced goods and their merchant uh, partner APRs are up to 36 percent is what this uh, Wall Street Journal article was saying. Thirty six percent on the merchant side. And I'm just kind of thinking, uh, and to your point, sorry, before I even get to that, to your point, one of the issues has been that the way that they wrote their contracts apparently was such that they didn't take into account the, maybe not the possibility, but the reality of what happened around interest rates rising. And so they have not been able to um, make or pass on the the cost to them onto the consumer. That's like one of the the issues that's facing them. And I would love, I texted you this and then you texted me back something. And I'd love to dive into a little more because my thinking was, how could they pass on all of those costs without effectively just becoming credit card companies? Like, that's what I couldn't quite figure out. Like, if they start to get to the rates that it would take for them to make money here, I don't know where the appeal is. Like, the difference really is. Like, that's what I couldn't quite figure out.
0: The credit card business model is more tried and t- true. Let's say that. They've been around longer. Almost all credit card companies have variable rates to accommodate for an environment like the last two years because they know when their default rates increase, they need to recoup more of that because they're going to write off more of the, their total fundings. So to simplistically answer your point, they need to, their business model needs to evolve to something that's closer to the credit card companies if they want to survive this. Affirms, firm's, you sent me the chart, right? They're down 87% from IPO or something. And it's been a rough couple of years or a rough year. Of course it has. Now, the idea, like what you talked about when you first heard about the company and in the initial pitch, they could probably still serve the underserved community. But that community is a tough one to serve if the economy totally in times of recession, that those are often the hardest hit consumers, which means they're going to have the greatest default rates. And that's not a fun place to play if you're a firm. No, it's it's so so, they're, they're in a tough spot. I mean, I personally think, and I'd love, I might actually pull the 10 K read it and, and do a deep dive here because this is a fascinating business model, but this might be a business model that gets people really excited at the end of a 10 year or a 13 year bull run in a low interest rate environment that doesn't work, <laughs> that doesn't ride out the storm when times get really tough. Unfortunately, I would say, unfortunately, because, of course,
1: unfortunately, but because it is like it has the potential for this win-win-win that you talked about. And it's a these types of businesses are huge accelerators for bubbles. The main accelerant I might be overstating here, but I say the main accelerant for an economic bubble is access to credit, yeah, And this is access to credit for everybody, right? Just like in the in the financial crisis, access to credit for everyone for uh, real estate, like, was a thing. I'm not saying it's to that scale, or I'm not saying that they were being sneaky. I'm not saying all that, so I don't, I don't mean to make the analogy that way. I just mean, like, and not just a firm, but the buy now, pay later space is like access to credit, which is great for the everyday
0: consumer until it's not. I mean, there's there's two things I want to continue to talk about with you. One, that statement, it's great for the everyday consumer. I think it's great for the everyday consumer if you're buying goods that are more investment like like to be able to purchase a home is great yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, i'm yeah. not sure that it's great for the everyday consumer to buy a peloton bike yeah it's okay yes a that's depreciating that's asset true. that yeah. it, like yeah. it, so yeah. you're right and then the other thing i need to say need to check on it because i keep rereading the sentence. you mentioned it earlier it says the company said that 23 percent of interest bearing volume was being offered by merchant partner partners at annual percentage rates of 36% for the most recent quarter versus 10% for the qu- quarter prior. So am I interpreting that correctly? That a firm used to be a lower cost way to finance for the average consumer than a credit card. And currently it's a higher cost way to finance versus a credit card because the average credit card rate is still like high teens to low twenties, right? So if they're charging people 36 percent. I guess I don't know how much of the that is being yeah. paid by the merchant
1: yeah exactly that, that's what I couldn't figure out which going back to your 10k point I think it's like it's important to if if we want to dive into this to go through the 10k to, to understand more of how the back-end mechanics work because that's something I couldn't quite figure out from the article is how that 36 percent like splits out is that cost to affirm that they're not fully um, pushing along, is that the cost purely to the consumer? Like I couldn't quite figure out where that APR came into play. but the 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 switch that you just like mentioned around the t- the ten percent going to twenty three percent, like more than double of the volume is at rates that are really, really high. is like massive. So there's something there
0: well, and so the last thing I wonder about when we talk about a firm is if there's a way to ride through an economic storm, it would be that you'd say i'll continue to use the peloton example you'd say peloton is going to really struggle at the depths of a recession so peloton would be willing to pay a greater financing cost to a firm uh so that three thousand dollar bike let's say peloton used to pay a hundred dollars to a firm maybe they'd be willing to pay 300 dollars to a firm the problem with that is they also probably have to cut the cost of the bike to $2,000 to unload the things during the depths of a recession. And I just don't know if the economics end up working on all sides where it's still a win-win-win because clearly a firm is financing more risky debt at that point in the cycle. Uh, And I don't know if Peloton could pay the bills if they pay a firm more money and uh, cut the price of the bikes and everything else. So we'll see. Uh, We'll watch it. It's going to be rough it's gonna be it's gonna be rough hopefully they they they
1: can break their way out of this but i think it's gonna be rough all right what's in the fishbowl for you
0: the easy one is disney but i'm gonna save that for a little bit i want to talk college football the economics of sports has, has always been so fascinating for me and there's these examples of nonsensical investments that happen in college because people's emotions are tied to things so you see that with uh, NIL deals, uh, name, image, and likeness. The most famous one is quarterback from California who signed a deal to for $13.2 million for four years, which is more than a first-round draft pick in the NFL would make. And because of the way the rules are written, you're not allowed to say for playing football. So this happened with a collective at the University of Florida, and they the contract came out. The contract said, like, has to live in Gainesville, Florida, and has to participate in college or in athletic endeavors or something, basically implying he had to play football for the University of Florida to collect the funds. Anyway, that all blew up. Now he's collecting zero dollars at Arizona State. Cracks me up. It's the Wild West out there. But part of that is happening with the name and image and likeness piece. And part of it is happening in the universities with investments in new facilities. And so Oregon State University just built a new stadium, spent $162 million to tear down their existing stadium and build a brand new one. And here's what they did, Dougals. Imagine you're an analyst that ran the numbers on this. And this is maybe where Wall Street would be better involved than uh, academic provider. (laughs) Last year, this couple had two seats uh, close to the 50-yard line in the first level, the total cost was $960. The new the stadium is, for the year. Okay. That's like six, seven games. The new stadium is almost complete. They got their breakdown. It will cost $6,000 to have those same seats this year. Excellent. That's all
1: I would do. If I got that in the mail, I got that letter, I'd read it and go, excellent. <laughs> that, that's interesting. Like what do you do
0: with your 10x increase? Well, what's not worse, 10X, in, but... in my opinion, so college sports is also really weird and they like break down your costs. They say, in order to have your tickets, you have to send a donation over here and we require you to buy parking or whatever. So here's the breakdown. $780 for tickets. That doesn't sound so bad. But then a $4,000 donation to like <laughs> their university's uh, funding arm donation for the construction fund on the stadium, $20 for hat handling and $200 for parking. What? So I know I've rambled here, but basically who, what analyst goes, Hey, you know what makes sense to, to get this new stadium built? We'll just increase ticket prices by six times. Like you could double them and people would go, Oh, this, I, this really sucks. But like, I love my university, and we have a brand new stadium, and this is great. You could triple them, and people would probably start throwing stuff at you, but they still might pay. But if you go six times, it, I don't understand how the economics make sense. I I don't understand who signed off on this. Desperation, maybe. I, like I don't, I don't, I don't know. This it's ridiculous.
1: Like that's absolutely ridiculous. Which is why that would be my only reaction if I opened up the letter that stated that because you just.
0: <laughs> What? What is this? See, I ch- chose a poor topic for my fishbowl because it's so ridiculous. It's not even debatable. Basically. No, it's not. It's just like <laughs>
1: that's that's so ridiculous. Oh man! All right. What's in yeah. your fishbowl? Okay, I'm going to connect a, a couple things together. I think up in here, but the core of it is going to be about pessimism and how pessimism is always everywhere. Right? Uh, it rules the day. We've talked about it before. Right, we talked about the perma bears and all that stuff. There was this piece that came out called Apocalypse is Nigh. Apocalypse being worst case. Nigh being now? I actually don't know what nigh means. But, uh, so yeah. anyway. <laughs> I but anyway, it's nigh. It's nigh, people. Uh, so this is written by Bob Seawright at an investment advisory firm that I can't remember. Anyway, so he's an investor. The core of this is about how uh, everyone's always talking about how bad everything is, uh, and human beings like really fear uncertainty, especially. I love this part. He, he brings in a whole different bunch of examples about how pessimism is everywhere. But I really like this one around uncertainty. He talks about Steven Spielberg and Jaws and how it's the music that made Jaws scary. Like You take these two simple notes. Didn't and he's like you can play that anywhere and that's fear Uh, it's the it's the it's the anticipation of what might happen and it brought up for me uh jurassic park so the jurassic park dinosaurs in the original jurassic park this movie is over two hours long how many minutes of it had dinosaurs i'm supposed to guess 17 pretty close 15 minutes So it actually might be 17 because 15 sounds too exact. (laughs) But yeah. 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 So about 15 minutes of this two hour movie, right, had dinosaurs in it. Movie, just to be clear, it was about dinosaurs. And it's the same thing. It's Steven Spielberg again, but with this thought that it's more about like the sound, the anticipation, right, the fear of what's coming. And so that's what human beings are always very scared of. I'm going to give you some data here about climate change. So. The big, big fear that everyone has now, like world's coming to an end because of climate change. In fact, in this survey that went out, quote unquote, humanity is doomed due to climate change or climate change. And this is saying that across all countries, according to the survey, it was for 16 to 25 year olds. And the question was, does climate change make you think humanity is doomed? There were a thousand people surveyed in each country across all the countries. 56 percent of people said, yes, humanity is doomed that I'm not even saying climate change, anything about climate change specifically. It's just saying that that's where we get to. Like, we always get to this point where like everything's coming to an end and it like generally doesn't come to an end is the is like a broad point that has here. He then starts to get to let's go back to perma bears here. Mm -hmm. He brings up our good friend, Mr. Grantham, and lays out very respected investor. This is not about Jeremy Grantham in general, but this is an example of something. Four different pieces here. The first with the headline Jeremy Grantham, Big Stock Bubble Will End Badly in 2016. (laughs) This piece was written in 2014. Next up, Why Are Stock Market Prices So High by Jeremy Grantham in 2017. Jeremy Grantham, The Market Bubble Will Burst in Weeks or Months. October 2020. Prepare for an epic finale. Jeremy Grantham warns tragedy looms
0: as super Superbubble may burst. August 2022. I know your point here is to throw Grantham under the bus, but my boy, Jeremy Grantham, <laughs> I just have to defend him a little bit. At least there are people that go on CNBC or whatever and say this every week without like a story behind it. His stuff is based in clear valuation. So effectively since the first article was written in 2016 the u.s stock market has been out of the valuation norm now in retrospect could he have been more nuanced in the way he communicates this and been less like doomsday-esque absolutely and i bet he wishes that but he's not just your average yahoo
1: Uh, okay hold on yes i agree i agree with that you bet he he wishes that he had the last headline i gave you was from five (laughs) months ago well, I mean, he got it right eventually. <laughs> yeah, which comes back to the point of, and this is not, this is, this quote is not about Jeremy Grantham, but lots of careers have been made by being right once in a row. Now that is not about Jeremy Grantham because Jeremy Grantham has been right from an investment standpoint a lot of times in a row.
0: So it's like the sixties, man, yes, maybe yeah. the seventies. So. I know. But, but the point
1: is that people like you, pessimism, right? Rules the day. And do you know who else? Love Jeremy Grantham, by the way. Put that aside for a moment. Do you know who else had a story behind their great pessimism? Paul Ehrlich. Paul Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb back in 1968, which said that hundreds of millions of people were going to die of starvation in the 1970s. There was a story behind it. So according to you, that means it has all the validity in the world. So, uh, we I'm not really This is be no, yeah. Uh, but so Noah Smith, uh, who writes, said uh, no opinion. It's Noah, pinion. Always got got to be clear <laughs> right. on that one. No opinion. Substack. Uh, he wrote about Paul Ehrlich in January, and so Paul Ehrlich wrote this this book, Population Bomb. Everybody's gonna die, right? And I I like this. What it ignores is all the various countermeasures that people will take against emerging problems and all the ways they'll adapt to new conditions. Countermeasures and adaptations act as a dampening force, slowing down the trend lines before catastrophe hits. Sometimes, though, not always, slowing it enough to avoid cat- catastrophe entirely. Again, that doesn't happen all the time. But the point of that is that when there are times when, when everybody's so negative – Right about it. When like the negativity feels that obvious, people do start to act, and it's not that it automatically corrects. But when negativity is that is that bad, people often do start to act. I think in the investing world, in the stock market, it can be a little bit different. Um, but
0: like in general, I, I really I like that. You got? No, I mean now we're talking. This is straight out of my book right here. This is why I don't mind buying the the companies that's on really tough times because those people show up and work hard and often fix it. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, a couple more points,
1: and then we can we can continue on. So then uh, so then Bob C. Wright, the author here, goes back to investing, says, uh, in investing, which is what he does, uh, safety is never guaranteed. On the other hand, by taking insufficient investment risk, we run the risks of not meeting our goals. Right, so you have to be able to balance risk. It's easy to be paralyzed by risk. To fail to make the trade or decide not to go with the startup or not to have the guts to ask the girl out. These failings don't make us or keep us safe. Safety is never guaranteed. And then he brings the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe into it, which is where things get really awesome. So the old C.S. Lewis book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Life, like investing, isn't tame any more than Aslan, the great lion in the the Narnia stories, is tame. When Lucy inquires about Aslan in the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," she says, "Is he quite safe?" Mister Beaver offers a penetrating reply: "Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good." When I was first reading this, I was like, "Where? Why are we in a wardrobe?" But, but I really, I really do like that piece. Like I think it's interesting just around uh safety we're not talking about like something being safe we're not talking about any- anything being guaranteed but you kind of have to be able to balance risk and just because something is a good idea doesn't mean that it's a safe idea right i i like that point broadly of a i'm gonna tie a couple of the things into this
0: well real quickly uh, before you tie i um the the piece is a roller coaster ride it's a good read the thing that cracked me up most and i'm surprised you didn't mention it, is that. Like, he tells the story of uh, people that watch jar, Jaws in upstate New York and then wouldn't go in the lake because they're <laughs> fear of sharks. Like, the human brain is incredibly brilliant and also incredibly stupid sometimes. There's not sharks in the lake. There's someone who suffered problems who lived in Kansas after watching Jaws because of their fear of sharks. Like, they're in Kansas. It's just fascinating. What is in Kansas? Toto?
1: Yes. Okay. Let's, let's, I'm going to keep pulling this thread. What did Toto get caught up in weather wise? Tornadoes. Yeah. That's in Kansas. What comes through tornadoes? (laughs) Sharknado. Here we go. So this is, you're saying that this is a fear that is not justified. (laughs) And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed that this was true if there was. Just one Sharknado movie, but by the thirty-sixth Sharknado (laughs) movie, (laughs) anyway. No, a couple other things I want to tie into this. So one is there. There's this New York Post article, which won't go go into much by Ken Fisher, and uh, what it shows is that right now, like every so many people, according to like the stats that are in here, are betting on a recession. At one example a survey from the conference board shows 98 percent of american ceos expect an economic downturn within 12 to 18 months with 99 forecasting the same for europe then he i don't know if he was trying to get hip-hoppy or whatever but dropped a couple of rhymes when you beware when you beware when you beware you prepare anticipation is mitigation i just start i just feel like jesse jackson it's like coming up in in here when he starts talking but anyway the point to tie it back the reason i bring this up is that when so many people are anticipating the recession then you start to see action which might mitigate the potential downside it doesn't eliminate and it may not always come true but what what it means here is like that's when companies are cutting costs right they're uh, they're
0: thinking about right and so I got to jump in diggles yeah, jump I got to jump I mean, in double dutch no sometimes it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy sometimes because like when i talk to leadership teams and we don't feel great about the economy we might not make the investments or spend the money that we would if we felt better about the economy and that cascades throughout the market so it's not quite as simple i totally agree because we uh, like i already said on this podcast that that it's so complex that it's really hard to predict things this is why generally i think predictions are stupid but it's not as easy as his point either that like, oh, everyone's freaking out. And now we're going to we're going to head fake here and not actually have a recession. Sometimes with inflation and recessions are probably the two most prominent examples. If people think that that is coming, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it actually comes.
1: You're right. You're right. It's, it's way too complex to to make it that simple. But I think it's an interesting point. And the, there's a, a book called. The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley, yes. which uh, hits on similar like concepts here. It's basically humanity's always said it's doomed. Humanity is still around. It's much, the book is more complicated than this, but it's just like a kind of a broad point uh, that I I think is worth a read, The Rational Optimist.
0: I have a dumb question. I know you like grew up in the New York area, so this is just uh, naivety on my part, but if you're Ken Fisher, and you want to go write an opinion piece why do you go the, to the new york post like why, why don't you go to the wall street journal or the new york times yeah so what you're doing
1: there you're just making this assumption that this is the first place ken fisher went
0: <laughs> that there would go i mean that, <laughs> do we think there were some other places that turned this opinion piece down <laughs> that i that
1: I don't know. that I don't know. For, but for those
0: who can't see dougals he's throwing his hands in the air right here <laughs> <laughs> i was I was actually surprised
1: but to see that byline because when I see New York Post, like Ken Fisher isn't what I would expect to see on um, the byline, but nothing against New York Post, nothing against Ken no, Fisher again, but just something against him. the combination of the two,
0: I think. <laughs> Quick hit on my end, if we're switching to my fishbowl, there was a kind of an opinion piece by uh, Jared Dillon. His Substack is wggtb.substack.com. And um, he talks about having a healthy relationship with money. I'll cut straight to the chase. He talks about basically cheapskates uh, that don't spend enough and people that spend way too much. And he just is effectively saying, if you're on the either either end of that spectrum, your relationship with money probably isn't perfect. I think it resonated with me because I've been on parts of that spectrum before. And like he gives some really simple examples that I thought were cool. One is like, you know, let's say you're not a college kid or not someone that's like really struggling to make the rent. If you're so called middle class in this country, If you're like getting fired up, if you lend someone five or 10 bucks and they forget to pay you back, what does that mean? It probably means your relationship with money is unhealthy because just the stress that some small faux pas like that causes you (laughs) probably isn't worth what you're fretting over. Like, and there's lots of examples in this piece, but I thought it was a nice reminder and it's really in your face, common sense, lots of, lots of cussing but like i liked it i i think it might be worth a read if you feel like you're on either end of the those that spectrum if you weren't interested
1: in the piece before when he started talking about the quantity of cussing i hope that like really really got you in there this is andrew dice clay does money that's what i'm thinking Uh, i haven't read it but i look forward to it can i end with one other quick hit yeah i want to talk about faux pas because you brought up Okay. The AI wars are on people. I'm not talking about Linda Hamilton. I'm not talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. What I'm talking about is Google v. Microsoft via open AIs, ChatGPT. Yeah. So we, ta- we discussed how Microsoft made a big investment in open AI. Microsoft is now integrating Chat GPT into Bing Search. And Google says, no, 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 not in my house. Straight up Mutumbo finger. What do you call that? Swivel? I don't know. Shaky shakes? Anyway, says, not in my house. Google says, we own search. You can't own search. We're coming out with a new product. That product is called Bard.
0: Our engineers are better than you. Why does everyone have to have stupid names for their AI? Like, why can't it be Google AI and Microsoft AI? I Chat GPT and Bard, come on. Well, Chat GPT isn't even a
1: stupid name. It's like it's a very technical name.
0: Well, it, which means it's yes. stupid. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Google says we're coming out with our own Bard. This week, Google releases the ad for Bard. Yeah, I'm not going to say the only thing. But going going back to the point, like, you know, we discussed Charlie Munger and whatnot. It's just like avoid doing stupid. Like that's, you don't even have to get the ad right. Just don't get the ad wrong. Yeah. And so in the ad that is celebrating the release of their brilliant AI functionality, the AI comes back with bad facts. (laughs) Like to the world, Google stock drops like 10% immediately.
0: $100 When $100 this billion. Dollars. $100 and, billion. Dollars. And I know you watched Silicon Valley on HBO, but there's an episode where Hooli did effectively the exact same thing. So this was all forecast by Mike Judge. It's hilarious.
1: If you want to know how the, I'll even just say that like the technical technology business world has worked, does work, and will work ever into the future, watch Silicon Valley. It, <laughs> has, it has everything in it. Like everything in it um but yeah so the the fact was about the James Webb telescope and uh, bard came back and said that the James Webb telescope took the first pictures of a planet outside of our solar system and then a bunch of astronomers said actually the first picture was taken 14 years before the James Webb telescope came out so you know it's not it's not like the fact is a huge deal necessarily it's just that like why wouldn't you get that the all the facts in your
0: ad right no i would say gosh huge deals probably not the 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 fact the incorrect fact <laughs> i made up a new term incorrect <laughs> fact um is kind of a huge deal they chose i don't know why they chose to talk about the james webb telescope in their <laughs> ad because it's like pretty niche but you're going to a niche where those people that scientific community like really cares it's yes. not like yes What's the best movie out right now? And the AI spits back, oh, like Avatar is a highly popular movie at this point in time. That's debatable that people are like, oh, whatever. It's like, no, this this is a community of scientists that are going to fact check you like crazy. It was a stupid prompt to start. And then their AI got it wrong. (laughs) Yes, I'll
1: give you that. I also I was playing around with uh, with Bing a little bit this week, and I wasn't particularly impressed with certain use
0: cases. Wait. So you got you sent me this on text, but uh, does this mean you're part of the beta user group? Because like Bing is not live yet. Well, I had two points. Let's my let you first make point your points and I'll shut yeah,
1: up. <laughs> yeah, but <My,
0: laughs> one
1: of my points is that that just might really be wrong in the end once all this is is fully fleshed out. But one point is that I think that there's a conflation between the different ways that search is used, because there, there's some time when it's like, I'm going to put some text in a box, and I want an answer that I can use elsewhere. And then there's, I want to find something on the internet. And those are two different things that I haven't seen a use case where uh, any of the the new AI functionality satisfies that second like, category. completely agree
0: completely and so that's why that's why i'm on the wait list and i really want to see how they mesh that because i'm not going like i have access to chat gpt i'm not going there as my primary search engine i'm going there for content creation and it's almost like a a research assistant where you can ask it A question and then it will bring back a bunch of information from various sources across the web and catalog it in one place but it doesn't fulfill a lot of my search needs which is like tell me the five websites that have information on this and i want to browse through all of them and effectively like use my own brain to make some decisions and so i think i guess that's why i've been holding off on judging it until i get the the formal go live because I think you have to blend both those things. And I don't know how they're going to do it. But that's almost the secret sauce.
1: Yeah, or maybe they don't get blended. Like, I'm wondering, I don't know, right? The the smart people that are spending billions of dollars to figure this out will, like, figure this out. Uh, but in my head, I, I'm, I'm taking the headlines that are coming out that are like, search will never be the same and i'm like i think maybe google won't be the same because google is saying we organize the world's information like as a company right and so this could be a different way to organize the world's information if you take it at that level but should it be conflated with search like i don't i don't i don't know can ai make search better sure but none of the use cases make me think in that second category of search that That's my only point. So I'm interested because, again, bill, people are spending – smart people are spending billions of dollars to figure all this stuff out. And so maybe they they do and should, to your point, bring them together. I just haven't seen, a, like, a straight-up use case that is just, like, find me, to your point, these five websites that – or, like, these five um, – maybe not even websites. i say these five firsthand accounts of a thing that I can then consume the, like, firsthand take and make my own – use for my own. Like, I haven't seen that, which is – a lot of search i think but
0: i might just be old and antiquated i think the technology can be applied to that and maybe it just hasn't yet maybe, um, yeah. the the lamest example i think of where like ai has no positive impact currently but might in the future is like say i find a t-shirt i want to buy and i want to buy it for the lowest price typically i'd look at the five most reputable places that are selling that thing and then I compare shipping costs and everything else. And like, I haven't seen chat GPT do that, but I don't know why chat GPT couldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I think it might be about unleashing it for these other, what I'd call more common search requests. And then I think it could run with it and probably hmm. Excel at it. Yeah. It's just not yeah. there yet. Yeah, I think you might be right. right. That's all I got. Yeah, one last thing for me just wrap up the Disney loose end. Um, we talked about our boy Nelson Peltz who wanted Disney to make a bunch of cuts. And then <laughs> February 8th, what was that? Midweek Wednesday, they announced all these things. They announced 7,000 job cuts and plans to slash 5.5 5 billion in costs. And he said, I'm cool with that. We don't need to talk about Bob Iger's salary anymore. Isn't it crazy how that happens Douglas? <laughs> it's- a lot of people there's just a lot of people in there yeah i agree i agree with you all right wrap time yeah guys rate and review the podcast when you get a chance um that really helps the show we'd love it if you share the podcast with a friend too and um hit skippydoogles.com for all things skipping doogles including how to find our sub stack how to send us listener mail which is skippy at gmail.com the twitter account everything else love it Thank you. Thanks.